0: Welcome to Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all, Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show here, The Andrew Lawton Show on True North. On this Wednesday, August 30th, midway through the week, at least if you are a Monday to Friday type, uh, it is midway through the week. Depending on your working hours or days, that may not in fact be the middle of your week, in which case I apologize for rubbing it in. Uh, on behalf of those for whom it is. But nevertheless, a lot going on that I am eager to get through in today's show. Uh, For starters, a rare bit of good news on the COVID file. Now, you may not recall this COVID thing is a a bit of a thing, but uh, there was this little chapter in Canadian history and world history not that long ago in which... People were subjected to massive sweeping crackdowns on their civil liberties, restrictions, lockdowns, mandates, and many of them were even charged if they dared to violate those edicts, fiats, mandates, and restrictions, and so on. A few examples are Chris Scott of the Whistle Stop Cafe in Alberta. Other examples of this would include uh, Pastor Tim Stevens in New Brunswick and uh, James Coates in, uh, I don't know if he's in Edmonton or if he's just outside of Edmonton, and, and so on. But we have a little bit of good news as far as some of these cases are concerned. Uh, just just a, a little bit, just a teeny, tiny, itsy bit of good news here. Uh, but Chris Scott, who is the owner of the Whistletop Cafe, was fully acquitted yesterday. The Crown had basically applied to the judge to say, yeah, just, you know, we don't think there is a reasonable prospect of conviction, so perhaps you can just ease off of this, and that was exactly what happened. You've got other cases that have popped up today where uh, some of the churches and pastors that have had charges applied to them are finding themselves no longer facing prosecution. And then you also had this decision that came about in an Alberta case uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, uh, that was basically a 90-page decision ruling that provincial health orders were invalid because they were in violation of the Public Health Act. Now, the way this story has been reported is that uh, there are a bunch of people that are going to find themselves uh, getting a refund on their fines, that they may find themselves unconvicted of this. And, And if you read this on the surface, it sounds like it's great, it's a victory, it's a blow against these COVID lockdowns. We'll we'll talk about that in a few moments time with lawyer Sarah Miller about whether that is in fact something that people should be jumping for joy about. But uh, right now I have to begin by saying here we go again. This little past chapter of uh, Canadian history that I was just talking about the COVID era uh, that I think has long been over. Some people think we've never left it and are wanting to keep us in this in perpetuity. Have you seen these headlines warning of the new variant? It's been a while since we've had a new variant, have we? But uh, the new variant is BA.2.86. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? But the Canadian mutation or the mutation has come to Canada, rather. It's not a Canadian mutation, but they have found a case in British Columbia of the BA286 variant. Uh, they'll give it a glitzy name sooner, sooner enough, like the Omicron variant, or the Omega variant, or maybe we went through Omega and we're back to Alpha now, and it'll be the double Alpha, the double Delta, who knows. But this is the new variant that has some experts, you know, experts, we, we've all learned of their uh, infinite expertise over the last few years. Warning that we are about to see, as this one article says here, a big, big wave, a big, giant wave is coming up. That's not like the technical language, but uh, it's kind of close there in global news. uh, Canada likely at the start of a new COVID-19 wave. How big will it get? Well, how big will it get? Who knows? It depends whether we are allowing the sensible types to govern our response to it or whether we're going to outsource public health to people like Dr. Nilly Ka- Kaplan-Mirth in Ottawa or David Fistman in Ontario and, and all of these other folks that are very fanatical about wanting to keep us in covid stand in perpetuity. Now, there are some folks that want masks to return ASAP. They want them to use the medical language-backed stat, such as a group of health professionals in British Columbia that is urging for a reinstatement of mask mandates, not just in hospitals and healthcare environments, but in schools as well, because they don't want the triple-demic. Do you remember the triple-demic of RSV, COVID, and influenza? So they think that we need masks to make a comeback in uh, schools and hospitals. You had some people that, believe it or not, went to their MLA's office to protest, to protest for masks. Like people that wore their masks, which they have a voluntary right to do as citizens, but are going to an MLA to protest to make everyone else wear them. And of course, when the pro-COVID people convene, it's always a peaceful, calm protest, right? So stay here with us, and let's continue, and let's continue to...
1: you guys. Easy. You're, Donner. You're Donner. 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 Guys, 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 guys. Stay the f-
0: You're he attacked, I, All right, I don't know what the hell's happening here. Literally... Leave. Let, let him go, dude. Let him go. Let him go. Let him go. Why are you blocking my
1: camera? Don't want people to see what happens at these things?
0: I got a glimpse of the guy that was being beaten up's sign, and it said CBC is government-funded propaganda, so maybe they didn't take too kindly to that. But uh, the kind people bludgeoning that man who didn't want masks were part of a protest that was organized by a group called Do No Harm. And if you can't reliably have a protest in which you don't beat up a guy who disagrees with you, maybe, just maybe, you should reconsider the name Do No Harm. Nevertheless, the one thing about masks that I've always maintained is that I am not anti-mask. I am pro-mask choice. I believe that we should all be able to make our own decisions. And when mask mandates were taken away, it didn't actually prohibit the wearing of masks. It didn't make it so no one who wanted to... Uh, was uh, unable to wear one, it just made it so no one was mandated into wearing one. The people that want to stand outside and cover up their faces until the end of time have every right to do so, and they can do it whether there is a triple-demic, a double-demic, a quadruple-demic, a quintuple-demic, or just because they didn't put their makeup on that day. They have that choice. But increasingly, there are people that are trying to take that choice away from us, even in 2023. We're seeing this more in the United States. There's a piece in Newsweek that is keeping a running tally a running tally of all of the places where mask mandates are returning. And if you look at this Newsweek article here, uh, they have colleges like Morris Brown College, Lionsgate, which is a a film studio in Hollywood, uh, Kaiser Permanente Healthcare in California, United Health Services in New York. Uh, It's mostly hospitals, but also, as mentioned, some universities. And this list, even from when I was looking at it yesterday uh, to today, has already grown by one or two, because we're seeing more and more places that are deciding they are wanting to go along with this in perpetuity. Now, uh, Sean points out Lionsgate is also a Canadian company or has Canadian offices, so I don't know if the Canadian headquarters... I mean, the Canadian office was probably the one pushing for the return of mask mandates, uh, if anything. But this is where we are. Now, someone asked me yesterday... Actually, a few people have asked me in the past couple of days whether I think they're going to try putting a mandate in place, they being any of the levels of government in Canada. And I said, you know... I've been wrong on some stuff like this be in the past. Like I wouldn't have said two years ago that Justin Trudeau would freeze the bank accounts of his political dissidents, but here we are. At the same time, I'm also very heartened by the fact that I don't know anyone in my life, even those who dutifully went along with every step of this, uh, that would go along with it again. People that just barely, barely, barely scraped through the COVID 1.0 have no tolerance and no patience for anything to do with this now. And I think that's going to be the real question mark that we have to address here, is whether there is anyone left who will go along with this. Because the great thing about it is that it used to be Where you had some moderate, sensible, respectable people that were saying, "Yeah, we should keep masking," and but now even they've abandoned it. So the only people left in the pro-mask camp are the Nilly Kaplan merce The only people left in the pro-mask camp are the people that think fresh air is like white supremacy or something like that. So that's essentially where we're going to see this debate go: is that the lone holdouts are the people like those folks in British Columbia protesting who just want to beat up a guy uh, for daring to say that. That he isn't a fan of CBC, which, if anything, should uh, give the guy uh, a medal for going in, and saying that in British Columbia, because it's probably a very lonely community in British Columbia for someone who doesn't exactly like CBC and all the stuff they're pushing on people. So all of this is to say that we are right now on the cusp of a big opportunity here, a big opportunity to stand firm against this. And I, I think anytime time this comes up, people have the obligation to say, you know what, you can mandate whatever you want. I am not doing it. I am not going along with it. And governments are going to very quickly find themselves utterly humiliated if they start flirting with mandates that have no legitimacy whatsoever. And, and the one thing we have now that we didn't have in 2020 is the benefit of hindsight. And I would specifically look at uh, Sweden, which has been one of the most important cases for analysis of COVID restrictions because Sweden was running an experiment effectively like everyone else in the world was, but it went to a bit of a different world than most other countries did. And Sweden was the restriction mandate control group. It was the place we could look at and see what does a world look like without mandates and without restrictions. And if you look at Sweden's outcomes, even now, and we've just seen uh, as recently as today, I think some new information about this, Sweden should have been, as Dr. Jay Bhattacharya said uh, this afternoon, a catastrophe, but it wasn't. Life and liberty were preserved For Swedes. That was what Jay Bhattacharya said. Uh, He's actually going to be speaking in the fall at the George Jonas Freedom Award dinner in Calgary for the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. And I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say. And so the reason that this is so important is because I I actually would love to not have to talk about COVID. I would love if this didn't loom over our heads as much as it does. But this is still an issue that is continuing to rear itself. For example, I mentioned the court cases in Alberta uh, that have had a bit more of a positive outcome. But next week we have Tamara Leach and Chris Barber, two of the most prominent faces of the Freedom Convoy, going to a criminal trial in Ottawa that is uh, scheduled for 16 days, but because there are a couple of breaks in there, it's going to go for the better part of a month. And we also have, as always, the possibility that these things that were only ever suspended— on the restriction front will be reintroduced. But uh, let's talk about some of the better news this week. Uh, Sarah Miller is a lawyer who has uh, dealt with many civil liberties cases uh, from Alberta, and she is with JSS Barristers and returns to the show in just a moment's time here. Uh, Because Sarah is uh, someone who has uh, taken up these cases. Now, she's not involved in... The whistle stop case, and she's also not involved in any of the cases that are affected by this decision that I alluded to at the beginning. And this is the decision that is going to result in the returning of fines and the overturning of convictions. But I think still think she has a solid analysis on this. And, and again, I, I have said time and time again, I'm happy to move on from this stuff when they do. So if the other side stops talking about the bringing back masks and the other side stops talking about continued prosecutions, then I will stop talking about all of the stuff that has been affected by this and all of that. So Sarah Miller, good to have you on the show again. Thanks so much for coming back.
1: Hi, Andrew. Good to see you.
0: So let's talk first off about this uh, this overturning decision because when I saw the headline, it was like, "Oh, this is great!" You know, uh, we've got some people in Alberta that are, you know, that may have just paid the fine to make it go away. They're going to get a refund on it. Uh, but there were a lot of cases I heard about that were unaffected by this. So, what is actually happening here?
1: Yeah. So uh, Ingram is a case that uh, was recently decided in Alberta that found the CMOH orders were ultra virus or inconsistent with the enabling legislation so the public health act in alberta is the act that empowers um at the time dr hinshaw to make a CMOH order which restricted us and who we could interact with how we could interact with them right all of those gathering restrictions and ingram is the case that said those orders that were made during the pandemic were not made appropriately and so therefore are essentially um ultra virus act. And so that's why everybody was excited because it sounds positive. If, if you're anti COVID lockdown restrictions, it sounds, it sounds positive when I summarize it that way,
0: but it sounds like there's a, but there, <laughs> uh,
1: so my, my interpretation of this case would say it, I would not interpret it as to be, um, really moving the needle very much generally. Um, And if anything, the needle has been moved in the direction of um, strengthening lockdown. So um, to really understand why that is, you have to look at the case that Ingram cites, which is CM. And that case is an Alberta case that came out in the fall of 2022. And the applicants in that case wanted masks. So you were just talking about how people want masks to come back. Well, the applicants in CM wanted masks wanted mask mandates. They were quite upset that the mask mandates had been removed. And so they applied to the court uh, regarding that applica- uh, masking mandate and said, we want those back. And the court looked at the information in front of it and the evidence before it and said, yeah, okay, you're right. The order itself that removed the masking mandate was a, a public policy decision, not a health decision. And so therefore is outside of the, the act, the public health act. So he found in favor, Justice Dunlop at the time, found in favor of the pro-masking group. Okay, so then we get Ingram, and Ingram is um, a lot of individuals who are concerned about the restrictions and making an application to the court to say, hey, we don't like these restrictions. And the, the judge in Ingram says, great, I'm gonna look at CM, I'm gonna look at the evidence before me from Dr. Hinshaw to how these orders were coming about and the judge finds that um, there's too much interference from cabinet or elected officials and their public policy decisions on a health mandate. So what the result of this is, is that now the CMOH, the person in charge who's authorized under the Public Health Act to make lockdown measures, doesn't have to listen to our public officials. So we elect public officials hopefully to represent us and represent our interests. If we elect somebody in Alberta, right, Premier Smith has been elected and if the majority of Albertans want Premier Smith in in power, that also probably means that they want some of her public policy decisions. Not, not obviously not everything, but some, at least some. And now if there's another pandemic, the CMOH does not have to listen to cabinet, does not have to do an iterative process with them. And in fact, if the CMOH does take into those public policy decisions um, or interests, that will be found to be all act. So it vests a ton of power with our medical officer and essentially tells them they do not have to worry about anything else except their health priorities. Um, it removes a balanced approach, I would say. Um, and making similar toys in the future. Yeah, I
0: mean that's a very it's a very sobering analysis because on one hand we can agree with the outcome but as you're noting there be very worried about the precedent that it will set and I I mean just a, as a an analogue well I guess it's a, it's not a similar case but it reminds me of it for a reason I'll, I'll make clear in a moment uh, back in uh 2022 or whenever it was, when there was the conservative leadership race and uh, Jim Carahallios was running and he was disqualified by the party and he took the conservative party to court. And the judge said, yeah, you know, the party didn't follow its process to disqualify you and we've overturned it. And then the next day the party says, okay, great. Now we'll follow the proper process and disqualify you. So it basically establishes the way to do this in, in a way that will be a bit more Ironclad. And, and I am very aware of the fact that this was not a case that was decided based on any constitutional implications or any freedom of speech, freedom of movement, freedom of association. And on those issues, am I to understand that not a single court decision ha- has really established that uh, lockdowns and restrictions are not saved by Section 1 of the Charter, the uh, reasonable limits part?
1: Yeah, so across the country, you know, we have decisions on B.C., Manitoba, Alberta included, um, Ontario. All all of the courts have essentially found yes, there might be section two violations, all saved by section one. And including Ingram in the sense of in the there was arguments in the alternative alternative to the um, public health analysis I just gave, and uh, the court provided, you know, half of its decision is in obiter as in the alternative, let's talk about the constitutional issues. And the, the government, rightfully so, admitted that there was Section 2 violations, um, and the case came down to Section 1, and the court said if if these orders were valid and implemented appropriately, they would have been saved by Section 1. So uh, even though the court didn't have to go there, it decided to just to make a determination on Section 1. Um, so it's not helpful. Well,
0: Looking at some of the developments this week, I mentioned Chris Scott uh, with the Whistle Stop Cafe. We also have uh, James Coates of of Grace Life Church, uh, Fairview Baptist Church as well. I I believe that was Tim Stevens, if I recall correctly. Uh, Are these cases, and the fact that charges have been withdrawn here, is this flowing from Ingram or is there something else going on here?
1: Yeah, so as you noted, I'm not really involved in those I'm just observing from the outside, like everyone else. But my understanding is that is the outcome of Ingram. So that would be from a constitutional uh, perspective, you know, a, a pro libertarian perspective, that would be the positive, the positives of Ingram is that it did result in, a, in this like uncertainty as to whether or not any of the CMOH orders were implemented appropriately, according to the decision in Ingram. And since, The Crown is obviously not sure they've it seems to me like they've uh, decided to stay or withdraw all of the um, outstanding charges.
0: I know we have uh, coming up next week, the criminal uh, trials of of Tamara Leach and Chris Barber. That's going to be one that we're watching here. But on the civil liberties front, are are there any particularly novel or unique cases that you're still keeping an eye on that you think could actually uh, perhaps have a bit more hope
1: so I'm not aware of any outstanding right now. There may be some in some of the um, provinces that I don't track. Um, I, I I think that my own case, the Pawlowski matter that arose out of the coots um, uh, border uh, protest uh, is is going to continue to be interesting. So Mr. Pawlowski has been convicted of mischief um, for speaking at the coup protest, not participating in the protest, but speaking there. Um, and it engages some interesting uh, constitutional rights, uh, which tie into COVID in the sense that uh, the Coots protest was related to uh, protesting lockdowns. Um, and that uh, we anticipate will be, the conviction will eventually be appealed. Um, and uh, sentencing that's happening uh, later in September. So uh, I think that one will be interesting. I think uh, the CM case that I, I noted earlier, the one where uh, pro-masking groups had applied to the court, that is under appeal. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if the court uh, of appeal makes the same determination regarding the structure and um, how a CMYH order should be issued. Um, but it will obviously be some time uh, before that decision is released.
0: Yeah. And I mean, obviously, certainly as a lawyer, you have to, you know, keep a a level of hope alive. And I think as a Canadian, we all have to keep a level of hope alive. And I've heard some people say, oh yes. And you know, these things will go to the Supreme court. And then I'm like, just read the interviews that the chief justice was doing about the freedom convoy. If you think that the Supreme court is going into this without its mind uh, made up in in some way about this. And I, I think this is the big problem is that we've seen here is that, once the the jurisprudence as we've seen has basically established that government had the latitude to do this uh it's very easy to see how that latitude expands and expands and expands and all of a sudden i mean even something as draconian as the emergencies act becomes within the ambit of oh well that's you know legislative purview and all that that's the that's government that's them their responsibility but when it's flipped and you have governments that are trying to do things to restrain uh, its governments. So on those rare occasions, then all of a sudden the courts are reading so much in and, re- and saying, "Oh no, no, no! We don't give you deference now."
1: I have I have a lot of faith in our Court of Appeals and our Supreme Court in Canada. So I, to the extent that any of these warrant going to the Supreme Court of Canada, and some some simply do not. We have a very overburdened system, and mm-hmm. currently we don't have lockdowns in place. Right, so. So there is a question of mootness that is i think legitimate and live as to whether or not these should take up very valuable supreme court of canada time um but i do have a lot of faith in our our court of appeal um and our supreme court uh you know the the, i do think that those that make it to the court of appeal um will have the the law applied and interpreted correctly for for Good. the most part. And so um, whether that means that, you know, it's always going to land on the side of, of um, a more libertarian interpretation, maybe not, but as long as we uphold the rule of law, that's the important part.
0: All right, Sarah Miller of JSS Barristers. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Have a good evening. All
0: right. Thank you. And I will just point out on this as well, that when we are talking about uh, these cases, if a mask mandate all of a sudden comes down the pipeline again in the winter, something that I've gone my entire life without seeing until COVID, and then perhaps twice in the span of a few years, I would say it's not moot. And that was the whole point. It's that oftentimes government uses mootness, which uh, Sarah mentions is a completely legitimate uh, reason to not hear a case, but they use mootness as a way to basically get rid of a case when they're planning to do the same thing again. Uh, the Leaders Debates Commission, a classic example of this, uh, Rebel and True North in 2018 denied accreditation. We take the government to court. We win an injunction. We want to follow the case through after. The government says it's moot and then turns around and in 2021 uh, starts flexing its muscle again and banning some independent journalists, not True North that time, from attending and covering the debate. So that's the problem with it is that if they're going to say it's moot, uh, we need to hold them to account when they turn around and do the same thing that they said was over, was not a live issue and all of that uh, beforehand. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, this bizarre, bizarre advisory that the federal government put up yesterday for people traveling to the United States. Now I have traveled to many, many places in the world. I've been very privileged just be with a combination of the work that I do and uh, other opportunities I've had along the way to see different countries. And I've been to places that are slightly riskier than others. And I've been to places that have no issue whatsoever. And the United States has always been in that latter category. I've never known there to be a travel advisory for going to the United States. But now, despite the fact that the U.S. is still seen as a green light, a place you can go to relatively safely. Uh, the government of Canada has put a slight little warning, just a little litty bitty warning there. Uh, if you are a member of, and I, I want to get this right, the 2SLGBTQI plus community. Uh, The government says that some states have enacted laws and policies that may affect 2SLGB. I was reading it. Sean's congratulating me for nailing it. I was reading it. I had to like scroll down to the page. I can't do that for memory. I'm uh, I'm just like Justin Trudeau when I try to uh, flounder around and find letters. The good news is if you give it a couple of years, no matter what letter you say, it's going to be in there. Uh, So that'll be the good part there. At a certain point, you can just do the whole alphabet and you'll have gotten it accurately as long as you throw a two and a plus in. Uh, but some states have enacted laws and policies that may affect 2 LGBTQI plus persons check relevant state and local laws. Now, this is relatively nondescript. It's relatively nondescript. It doesn't say, you know, Ron DeSantis in Florida is going to like lock you up if you're gay. It doesn't say no trans people are allowed in Mississippi or whatever. It just says that you should check local laws and you may think okay what's the big deal well it's about the context of where this comes from because it actually clicks through to a link about traveling if you are a member of the uh, see now I don't have it on my page so I'm not going to read it again but if you're a member of that particular group and it's the same page that warns about authoritarian states in which homosexuality is criminalized it's the same page that you're linked to if you are traveling to Saudi Arabia for example where it is illegal to Be gay. It is the same warning that you're going to get about countries in which you will literally face prosecution and some potentially horrendous outcomes for your sexuality. And it's including that in the same context as the United States. Now, this is to me nothing that is beyond the virtue signaling of the Canadian government on foreign policy. This is all they do. It's virtue signaling foreign policy. And it's a way that Trudeau can uh, do the same thing he loves to do whenever a court decision in the U.S. comes out and takes a pro-life stance. Uh, We have to assert ourselves and say, but we're so much more progressive than the United States. We're better than those guys. We're safer for gay people. We're better for women. We don't have guns. And it's just this constant Canadian superiority complex of trying to distance ourselves from this country that we should be relishing as a friend and neighbor, but instead like to just completely crap on all day and all night. That is the liberal ethos here. And Christia Freeland, I, I won't play the clip because I believe that our numbers do plummet quite a bit when I play a, a Christian Freeland clip, uh, but she gave an answer. Well, no, she didn't give an answer. She was asked about this yesterday and it was like a two and a half minute long answer in which she said nothing at all. Like I kept waiting for the point And the point never came. And I wondered, like, if you ever watched The Office, the U.S. version, there was this great little scene where Steve Carell's character, Michael Scott, uh, was asked a question by his boss. And he just started going down and he got absolutely nowhere. And he's like, you know, never under any circumstances ever for any reason at all at all, under, whenever, like, and he just never went there. And he said it was an improvisation. He said, an improv conversation where you hope you'll find it along the way. Well, Christian Freeland did the Michael Scott improvisation and never found her way there uh, because she couldn't really answer the question of, are you saying that the United States is unsafe for gay Canadians? Are you saying the U.S. is unsafe for gay Canadians? And she could not answer the question yet her own government and she by the way used to be the foreign affairs minister herself her own government thought it was fitting to warn gay canadians about going to the u.s in the same way that it might warn them if they were going to saudi arabia or tanzania or some other place so uh just completely ridiculous i don't even i'm not even concerned about oh the because joe biden like has not actually had an alert thought so he's not going to notice this But uh, surely there could be some conceivable diplomatic blowback On this, And I would love it if the United States put up a travel advisory for Canada saying, be careful if you want to go there and express your civil liberties. Be careful if you want to go there. Your bank account might actually be frozen if you, uh, you know, wave to a trucker as they're driving down the 401. So uh, the U.S. should return the favor and in kind start warning about all of these civil liberties infractions that you can expect if you are in Canada. Certainly if you are a political dissident to Justin Trudeau. I started out the show asking if the masking was making a return. And I guess I wanted to close by uh, showing a little bit of leadership from a politician I had never heard of until today, which was the governor of Mississippi. Now, I had heard of the state of Mississippi, but I did not know by name the governor of Mississippi. But he sounds like a great guy, Tate Reeves. Uh, responded to this growing chorus from the so-called experts of a return of mask mandates. And he posted a lengthy statement, which I won't read the whole thing of of here, but he says there was understandable uncertainty when COVID first came. He said, we did not know what we were facing. As the months unfolded, it became clear there were two pandemics, a disease that was easy to spread and that was deadly for many vulnerable people and a pandemic of fear stoked by the expert class, that demanded total subjugation of the American people. He goes on to take an aim at uh, those who kept this up with bureaucrats and experts seizing power. Uh, But he says in unequivocal terms, no, we will not return to widespread masking or COVID rules. People have a right to make their own decisions, to decide how much risk they tolerate. And no matter what pronouncements come down from the Biden-Fauci administration, we will go to school, we will go to church, we will go to work, and we will play sports. We will live in self-determination, not top-down fear. That is the statement I would like to see from every single premier in Canada. I want Danielle Smith to be putting that out. I want Doug <laughs> like Doug Ford's going to put that out. I want Blaine Higgs to be putting it out. I want uh, Heather Stephenson in Manitoba to put it out. I want the premiers, uh, Premier Scott Moe, uh, EB and BC. I want them all. To put that out. Andrew Fury, put it out. I I should not list them all because at a certain point, I'm going to like get to the one that I don't know offhand. But I've got like six premiers already. That's good enough. I want all of them to put that out and say, no, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you want to get your boosters, get your boosters. If you want to do all of this, this is your choice. But we will not impose it. Never again will we go down the road of locking down our citizens because of fear. Fear that as time has shown has not been founded in anything resembling science so uh thank you for putting out that template governor reeves uh canadian premiers it is your move now that does it for us we will be back on friday with more of canada's most irreverent talk show thank you god bless and good day to you thanks all. for listening to the andrew lawton show support the program by donating to true north at www.tnc.news